Hello, listeners. Welcome to another episode of Impolite to Listen. We have something truly special in store for you. We are thrilled to welcome onto the show Iona Italia. She is a world-renowned tango scholar, coach, performer. Her most recent book is Our Tango World, a two-volume journey through the world of Buenos Aires tango and society, available, of course, on Amazon. She is currently a writer and sub-editor for Aereo Magazine. Aereo is an opinion and analysis digital magazine focused on current affairs, in particular humanism, reason, science, politics, culture, and human rights. She's also part of the team at Yasha Monk's publication Persuasion and Letter, a platform for thoughtful conversation via an exchange of written letters. Iona is also host of the weekly Two for Tea podcast, where she discusses politics, society, art, science, and scholarship with some of the biggest names in their respective fields, such as Nicholas Christakis, Ali A. Rizvi, and Thomas Chatterton Williams. You can find it on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and pretty much anywhere you listen to podcasts. Iona is currently based in London, though she has lived all over the world, including over a decade in Argentina. She is fluent in German, Spanish, French, and English, and is a professional translator in all four. And if that wasn't enough to spark your curiosity, she also holds a PhD in English literature from the University of Cambridge. You can catch her on Twitter, at Iona Italia. I must say she is one of the more amusing and fun and interesting people to follow on that platform these days. And her website is ionaitalia.com. Schwieder's taking the lead on this one as they have a freewheeling conversation on all things tango, music, art, and culture. Iona is seriously one of those fascinating people that you just wish you could sit next to on an airplane for 10 hours. She has so many stories, anecdotes, insights, observations, and we were just really excited to get the opportunity to have her on. So without further ado, let's get to the show. First of all, thanks for coming on the show and for talking to me. Um, you know, I really appreciate it. You're, you're one of the uh, most reasonable and funny people on Twitter. That's for sure. Um, and you're, you're one of the only like redeeming features on that website. Um, wow, thank you. What? So much pressure. I know. <laughs> um, and, and you've had such, a, such an interesting and, and varied life, you know, from um, writing, editing, translating you were an intellectual or an academic and you also danced tango which is a relevant thing here um i was just wondering if you could sort of give us a a quick tour of your your life um okay uh so i grew up in uh, karachi pakistan and my early life was spent in karachi um and my father was indian parsi and then i moved to the uk um and I went to school, I went to University of Cambridge, I, I studied English literature, and I did a PhD in English literature, and I was an academic for um, 11 years. Um, I wrote a book about 18th century essayists called Anxious Employment, a title which has become sadly rather autobiographical <laughs> <laughs> um, and prophetic. Um, which is really about the 18th century gig economy. Um, and then 
I, in 2006, I went to Argentina for a year. I already danced tango at that stage. And my idea was to go to Buenos Aires and perfect my tango and leave after one year as a tango goddess. Little did I know. <laughs> it was a classic sort of case of Dunning-Krugeresh optimism. Um, I think Dunning-Kruger is really, un I think the, um, that kind of optimism, that sort of naivety is, is hugely underrated though, because if you really knew how crap you were at things, you wouldn't have the courage to try things and go and do things. So um, there, there's a lot to be said for overestimating your own talents, actually. Um, it's true. So I, I stayed there for a year and after a year, I just didn't want to return to academe for a lot of reasons, but, um, but partly because I just really wanted to become a dancer. And I eventually, I stayed in Argentina for 12 years. I've written two books about tango and um, I taught uh, tango. Um, and then in 2016, um, I went to 2017, 16, 17. I have lost track. Anyway, a few years ago, I went to India for two years um, to explore my Parsi roots. I had never been to India before. I grew up in Pakistan, but I'd never been to India. Oh, wow. And it had always been difficult because I, I was a Pakistani citizen. Um, but I finally managed to go. And that was quite life changing for me, actually. Um, and I decided to move back to London. And so that's what I'm doing now. I'm living in London. I dance as a hobby. I'm not dancing kind of professionally, quote unquote. I wasn't really a professional performer, but I taught and I taught mostly musicality, actually, for dancers. And as you will discover, I'm, that's also a great example of um, Dunning-Kruger, which has been a, a, an accompaniment to my life <laughs> um, because I, I'm not qualified to do that either, but I really enjoyed it and people seem to resonate with my teaching. But now I work as the sub-editor at ARIO magazine and I work for a couple of other publications for Yasha Monk's publication, Persuasion. Um, and with a company called Letter, who do public online letter exchanges. And I have my own podcast, and I am writing my fourth book, which is about, um, it is a series of biographies of um, mixed race people through history, who people who have had interesting or tragic or um, significant um, life experiences because they came from a background that straddled two cultures. Hmm. That sounds very interesting. Um, do, do you have like a working title for that book or anything? I'm calling it The Half Casts. Nice. That's like my that. working title. Like um, something is flickering. I don't know what that is. Is that bothering you? No, I can't hear it. Okay. So um, when you, when you, decided to go to, um, to, to Buenos Aires to, to study tango. Um, what, was the, what was the sort of relevant thing that, that made you go there? Like, was there, was there a particular 
experience dancing or was there was there a particular song or what what got you what got you that into it oh um so you know i think that um at the beginning what attracted to me to tango was um the um was largely the embrace so in tango in other I don't know how familiar you are with tango. I know you watched a, a few small videos that I showed you, that I sent you. Mm -hmm. um, in uh, most other forms of partner dance, um, you, hold, you hold hands or you hold each other lightly um, in some kind of dance frame or dance position. But in tango, I don't know if you can tell, but you hold each other in this very intimate sort of um, in this very intimate hug. Um, mm -hmm. And that I think is the big attraction of, was the big attraction of tango for me at the beginning. And I think for many people, it's, it makes the dance, it adds um, a level of technical difficulty to the dance when you were learning at first. It's a very steep learning curve for beginners because in real life, you don't, um, you don't walk around holding somebody in a close in a close embrace right up against you like this um at least not straight on i mean you could put your arms around them around somebody at your side um but if you really hug somebody close then it's difficult to imagine how you would dance that way because the other person is in your way um and in order to make it work you have to be very well coordinated so if you're dancing something like salsa where you're just holding hands, if the other person is not a very good dancer, it can be a bit tiresome, but they, they don't stop you from doing your movement. Whereas in tango, if the other person, if you cannot dance well with each other, you really feel like you can barely move. Hmm. And that's because the other person is right, right here, um, right up against you. Um, but it's also just a delicious uh, feeling. And I did also like the um, music more than the music of other partner dances, which tends to be very formulaic music um, with repetitive structures like waltz's dum 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 or um you know cha-cha's dum dum da 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 um tango doesn't have that kind of underlying in in tango i'm going to use uh some musical terms which will probably be used wrong from musicians point of view because we dancers tend to have our own idiosyncratic way of using musical terminology but yeah. it doesn't have, we would call it a clave. We refer to it as a clave, that, like uh, that underlying rhythm. Um, so in milonga, which is a related dance to tango, there's a rhythm that goes. Like that, it, it's got a dot, this dotted rhythm. Um, tango has um, the underlying rhythm in tango is just a straight 4-4 four, four rhythm. Historically, tango is written in 2-4 time, but it doesn't feel like 2-4 um, right. music. 
it if you can tell from what you've listened to it feels like four four right right to yeah me, it feels like a four four but it's rhythm written in two four often for historical reasons um but it just go has one two three four that's it it's com a completely straight rhythm like that and that makes it possible to put very complex and beautiful melodies over the top and the accented moments in the melody don't have to fit the accented accented moments of some clave um, and therefore the melodies are much more a lot of them sound and are probably were probably influenced by Italian opera they have this kind of grand operatic feel um, and there's also room for a lot of um, counter melodies um, as you might notice, especially on violin. Yeah, uh, so it's a very rich music and it's not so cheerful also. It's not kind of like party party, which doesn't suit my personality. So I'm, I, I prefer this more melancholy <laughs> thing. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I definitely noticed um, just, you know, from, from listening to from listening to tango, um, it, it's it's contrapuntal in a way that that most dance music is not um, like yes, there, there are right. there are several layers and um, I, I don't know why I, I, I guess you said it's the it's the fact that the underlying rhythm is not is not um, constraining it. But I do wonder how, how that how that evolved, you know. Um, it, well, I think that when, um, as far as I know, when tango music was evolving, which was in the at the end of the 19th and beginning of the 20th century, um, there were a few factors. So they say, but this is really rather anecdotal history that Malonga evolved, uh, tango evolved out of an earlier genre called Malonga, um, which is the one with the dotted rhythm that I was just clapping before. Mm. Um, and Malonga came from um, African, uh, African immigrants. Uh, in Buenos Aires, they were not slaves, um, but um, they were, they had come to Latin America as slaves and they ended up in Buenos Aires and they brought with them rhythmic drum music, which evolved into Malonga. And then there was a huge wave of Italian immigration. So Buenos Aires, during that period, Buenos Aires doubled in size. Um, and at one point, I think more than half of all when Cyrus citizens had been born abroad. Wow. Um, in, New York in, the, in New York in the same period, it was one third. So when Cyrus was actually more cosmopolitan than New York in the same period. Wow. Um, and more than half of those immigrants came from Italy. So um, there is a, there's a genre of tango called tango waltz. So there is a you can dance tango also to three, four. It's exactly the same dance um, because we don't, because there's no clave thing in tango, there's also no set 
step pattern that everything has to be built around. So you can build the dance around just plain walking. Um, mm -hmm. And therefore you can walk just as easily, obviously to three, four, as you can to four, four music. Um, and the tango waltz sounds very similar to Italian waltzes. It's a genre called Italian waltz. And if you listen to that, that is tango waltz. It's a three, four, it's not a six, eight waltz and it doesn't have a Viennese waltzy feeling. It doesn't have this la da 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 feeling. Yeah, that's Italian waltz. And I the so we think that on top of this kind of rhythm, tango has no percussion instruments. Um, there's, and very frequently, um, nobody is playing, no one is kind of marking the rhythm. If someone is marking the rhythm, it will be the double bass, um, mm. pizzicato and the double bass. So quite subtle, but there's, there are no, um, there are no percussion instruments in tango. Um, so they took that kind of rhythm, but they didn't have bands. So there was no percussion and they were just playing it on uh, originally on guitar and then later on piano with singers. And when the Italians came, they brought their opera, opera and operetta music. Um, and those kinds of tunes influenced the tango tunes, which are mostly written for um, uh, baritone um, voices and do have a very operatic feel, especially if you listen to Osvaldo Pugliese's orchestra, that's the most operatic, I think. Hmm. Um, and then it, they were also influenced by um, the bandonian, which was originally, uh, which was originally um, an instrument used to accompany German church music. Right. And the bandonian has, uh, it's only in tango that they began using the bandonian as a melody instrument, which was an extremely perverse thing to do. Um, I don't know how much you know about bandonians. Um, it, it's, it's highly, it's very ungainly to play a melody on it because it's a harmonic, it's a principally harmonic, like the, the formation of the, like the fingerings is, is built around yes, um, being exactly. like a harmonic accompaniment, right? Yeah, so it's really uh, yes. difficult. Yes, so it's got buttons on both sides um, and the buttons are not in scale order. Right. Um, <laughs> and um, also some of the buttons sound a different note going in and going out and others don't. Um, and a lot of bandonians, bandonianists have also told me that they, um, and you also cannot, it's also very difficult and expensive to tune it um, hmm. So bandonians often go out of tune and uh, people just have to adjust. Well, the pianist can't adjust, but uh, <laughs> everybody else can adjust. Right. Um, and uh, many bandonians, ha bandonianists have told me that they can also only play their own instrument. I mean, literally their own physical instrument hmm. because um, uh, the different keys get worn down in different ways. And so if they don't have the tactile feedback, um, 
because it's so difficult to find the notes on the bandonian, then they can't play it correctly. So they know this one that's a little bit scratchy on the edge is the B flat or um, whatever it might be. That's um, so interesting. So I think that the the um, the bandonian also had an influence on the music. So um, bandonians are, are much easier to play in some keys than others. Um, mm -hmm. it's, um, and so those keys tend to be preferred in in tango also. Interesting. So so yeah, I mean. It's it's interesting that you said that because because it does seem like when I'm listening to tango, you know, it seems there's this bel canto tradition and it seems kind of like Italian opera taking to the streets. Um, yes. But then but then there's there's a there's a sort of uh, Germanic approach mm. to to sort of harmony and counterpoint that's it's 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 in there. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It, it kind of it, it seems like an interesting. This kind of happens with jazz as well, but it seems like an interesting. Um, reflection of the of the city right where, where it was mm. where it was formed like um like i think it's a dance of of immigrants and um exiles i think maybe you say somewhere in your in your book um i which i really like um and it, it sort of throws out of the window any any ideas that someone might have about cultural appropriation and and all that stuff because with with if you're thinking in that way you would never have stumbled upon something excuse me, as interesting as tango, you know? Mm, yes, um, yes, absolutely. I mean, there are a few people in Argentina, but it's uh, mostly very, mostly older people who uh, do have a, a very nationalistic um, perspective on things. And um, there was traditionally, so tango doesn't, there aren't a lot of dance competitions in tango. Um, but there are basically, basically only two that are important. So unlike ballroom dancing, tango isn't primarily danced at, as a competition. Um, people dance uh, um, for as a leisure activity. And then when people give performances, it's these very short performances that are at the beginning of a tango event. That's how people, or, sorry, during a tango event. That's how performances usually happen. So performances are also not usually in one big block. It's just three minutes or six minutes of a couple performing. Um, so we, it's, not, uh, it's not a competition-based um, dance, um, but we do have two uh, important annual competitions. And in one of them, it used to be the case that, that um, foreigners were not permitted to compete. And a friend of mine about seven or eight years ago now, I guess, she forced the issue by compete by showing up at all the places and, and kind of just going onto the floor when they were about to, uh, they would have had to physically throw her off, which they're not quite <laughs> willing to do. And she took them to court and she managed to uh, have the rules changed. Uh, so it was found to be unconstitutionally discriminatory, and now foreigners can also compete in this <laughs> competition. But I believe no foreigners have won it as yet. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> <laughs> so, 
so, so it's like the French flute competitions, you know, it's, it's technically open to everyone, but, but there's, you know, it's like the, the, the French style wins out. Well, non-Argentines have now won the, the other competition, which is actually the more important of the two. Mm. Um, but um, yeah, so there is a little bit of that kind of, um, a little bit of that kind of feeling. And there are a few people who I've definitely heard saying things like, it's genetic and a great dancer is not, <laughs> is born, not made and things like that, which um, I mean, of course, everything is genetic at the end of the day, but I find that rather bizarre, rather bizarre attitude. Well, but most people don't take that attitude, if only because their livelihood depends on foreigners liking this dance and learning right, from no. them and coming <laughs> to see That's it. a good point. That seems especially absurd with, with tango when um, just from watching it, I could be wrong, um, but it, it seems it seems highly technical, and, and it seems um, I don't want to say there's there's not there's not a physicality because obviously that's that's wrong, but but it seems like a very sort of precise technical dance that you learn, and it, it doesn't it seems more like a, a studious thing than a than a, a sort of a, a physical bravado thing it's yes. kind of borne out by the fact that it doesn't seem like there's as much of a strict age limit on tango as there no. is on say ballet you know yeah um well tango is um so it does it is more difficult than most uh partner dances um or more difficult to learn and become proficient let's say of course if you get to very high levels in any dance then it requires a lot of skill um right. But it is not, so there is a stage version of tango, um, which is very much, um, which is very balletic. Um, but most people don't dance sage tango, they dance, um, they dance social tango, uh, what people often call salon, salon tango, hmm. tango for in the in the room, basically. Um, and it is not it's not flamboyant. Um, there are a few larger kind of moves, but basically it's, it's a fairly subdued uh, form of dancing. Um, and um, uh, uh, there's a certain restrain, restrained aesthetic. Um, so you saw the one of the videos I showed you, that's uh, my favorite couple and probably the most famous couple in the world for a long time, Carlitos and Noelia. And if you look at what they're doing physically, it's it's um, it's beautifully uh, coordinated, but it's not difficult in the sense that there's no acrobatics. You don't have to be able to lift your leg up to here. Um, it's not it's not enormously physically demanding. Um, there's no jumping and running around. It's uh, it it's um, it's a dance. I mean, it's a it's a folk dance. It's a popular dance. You don't have to be a dancer to be able to dance tango. Um, tango can make you into a dancer, but you don't. It's you don't have to be a dancer to be able to uh, learn the dance. Whereas ballet is a badass dance, and um, <laughs> I did ballet for years, and I'm still extremely bad at it. Um, you know, ba with ballet, it's just like you want to dance me? Fuck you. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, tango is not like that. Um, and that's also why there's no, um, there's really no age limit to being able to do it because 
it's um, it's it's not that it's not physically strenuous or physically demanding in that way. It is um, uh, it is very difficult. The, the really the difficulty is primarily in um, coordinating the the, the um, communication between the couple um, because it is improvised and obviously like most improvised art forms it's improvised around uh, uh, certain conventions and that it's quite a narrow set of conventions but it doesn't have as most partner dances do it doesn't have a basic step the basic step is only walking um, so that means that you don't you don't keep returning in salsa you do you can do a million variations incredibly difficult improvisations and things and then you return to the basic to anchor it all back down and we don't really have that basic to return to the basic is just walking um, and that means that you have to just be very you have to do a lot of what i call somatic listening you have to be very uh, attuned to each other um, so that is the level of difficulty, but it's, it's not that difficult. It's more difficult to learn than learning swing or lindy hop or something like that, but it's much easier than, than becoming a professional <laughs> contemporary dancer or something. Right, um, I see, yeah. It is a dance of the people, an urban, urban folklore, as the Argentines say. So just based on that, would you say that it's true for, for tango more than other, other um sort of popular dances, um, a lot of the, the skill of dancing tango, it seems like it, it might come from the skill of actually just learning how to listen to music. Is that, is that true? Um, yes and no. Um, so there's a kind of, I mean, it's a little more of an urban legend, but there's, there's this kind of um, perception that most people who can play music cannot dance. Um, <laughs> and there are some theories about that. For example, when you're playing music, you need to suppress irrelevant movement. So you need your movement to be very economical for the thing that you're playing. Um, so you need to kind of, um, I don't know if I'll express it, but you need to put the music here rather than just putting it everywhere. Right. Um, and that that, uh, could suppress some of the things that you need for, for dance. Um, so um, I, do, I don't know. Um, um, I think that listening and dancing are, um, are different skills, uh, are related skills, but different skills. Um, because um, there's listening and sort of expressing, communicating, um, what you're hearing. Musicality in dancing, in tango in particular, is always quite, um, it can be so subtle that I sometimes wonder whether I'm imagining things when I think <laughs> that someone is dancing very musically. Um, it's always the most desirable quality. After having a good embrace, the most desirable quality is musicality. And the worst insult is he or she is deaf. <laughs> that person is deaf which doesn't mean they're literally deaf but just they, do, they do, don't dance like they're listening correctly right um, and um, we don't have that many 
ways of expressing the music in tango. Um, the music also is very is quite complex. It's not very complex by musical standards, but by the standards of that of a couple couple dancing, it's very complex music. Um, and there are how many <laughs> two bandonians, two violins, piano, double bass singer. There are seven musicians, and there's only there's only um, one couple. Well, there are two of you, but you have to do something together. Mm -hmm. um, and um, and of course, in music, different things are happening at once. And in dance, you can really only do one thing at once. Um, and um, dance and music are also completely different languages. So you have to find a translation from one to the other that makes sense. I'll try, I'll try to give an example. Mm -hmm. um, well, let me give one simple example and then a more complex example. So a simple and obvious example is... Um, when there are sustained high notes, that is, a, 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 um, it, especially in the kind of op somewhat operatic music that tango is, that is a high, a climax, a, a high point in the song. Climax is the wrong word. It's a high point in the in the melody, and therefore you need to mark it with some high point in the in the dance. Um, so you're going to put some dramatic movement there. And the most obvious dramatic thing is the baleo, which is a is a kind of um, it's led. It's not it's not done by the by the follower, because you are kicking behind you into the air, which would be very dangerous if you did it on your own. But mm -hmm. it's a led and followed movement where the follower's leg flies into the air. So that's a kind of obvious correlation. It's like the sound is high, your leg is physically high. But there are very few moments like that where um, where the languages seem to approach each other closely. Um, usually, it's um, it's much less uh, it's it's much more subtle. So, for example, um, tango music usually begins with um, a um, instrumental section and then if it is a sung tango and about three quarters of tangos are sung um, the singer comes in about halfway through um, mm -hmm. so imagine during that first the singers were mega stars in their heyday so you can imagine during that first uh, minute the singer is backstage he's drinking his last whiskey <laughs> he's smoking a cigarette um, he's having an argument with his latest girlfriend um, and you know he's making them wait and then on he comes the lights go up Boom. Um, so you don't have any real boom that you can do in the dance it would look very corny and weird um, right. if um, so what you really what you have to do is change from what you were doing to doing something different so for example if you were doing more circular movements there are two basic kinds of classes of movement in tango there are circular movements circular uh, the couple circulating around each other, one around the other, around a common axis. There are many movements that are kind of circular in that way. And there are walking movements, linear. Um, so when the singer comes in, 
um, what most people do is they, they do circular movements just before, at least a little bit before, for 30 seconds beforehand. They're not counting, but, you know, it's just intuitive. Mm-hmm. And then they stop and they walk. And um, most people haven't been taught to do that. Uh, so it's, it's a, uh, it is an intuitive re- reaction. There's no rule that this is what happens. But it's very clear if you are listening to the music that the singer's entrance is an event. It is the, you know, the most important thing that has happened so far. Um, and so you mark the event by changing what you're doing. Mm-hmm. You honor the singer by stopping um, intricate kind of um, turning motions, which are more showy. Um, and you do simple walking um, in exactly the same way as usually before the singer comes on, the instruments are um, there. Uh, um, there's a melody in the instruments. And there's often a counter melody, uh, usually played on violin. Um, and when the singer starts, very frequently, most of the instruments stop playing melodic things and just play a little rhythmic accompaniment. Um, that's, there are some other options, but that's one of the most frequent things that happen. And in the same way, when you're dancing, you stop doing your twirly, whirly things and you walk because this is the singer's moment and you don't want to steal his thunder. So that's what I mean when I say there's this sort of, that's the kind of thing I mean when I say there's this non-exact translation between what is happening in the music and how you're expressing it in dance. Yeah, the, the way that you just described that almost makes it seem like the, the couple is another instrument in the orchestra. Because, yeah, I mean, it's the same, the same um, principle that like a new instrument enters and, and now it's not your time to shine anymore. So, you, you know, you play a little bit more, more quietly or you stop playing yes. the melody. Yeah. Yes. Although you're not an independent instrument because that would be nuts. Um, right. Because you do have to communicate with your, your, with your partner. So in theory, if you were dancing solo, maybe you could dance something that it would be a bit crazy anyway, but you could dance something that wasn't in the music, but visually complimented it. But you, you cannot do that if you're dancing with another person because right, right. They, they would just think you were insane. Uh, uh, because um, um, the way things work also in, a lead, in all lead and follow dances, and maybe this is too obvious to state, but um, you can't, uh, leading and following depends on both people listening to the music and doing things that make sense to the music um, because the person does not place you at a certain time in a certain place you feel the impetus to go and then you're going to go in the places where the music tells you and where it makes sense and right. actually very often when I was dancing with beginners uh, when I was teaching beginners um, they would kind of run into me because I would stop at the end of a phrase and they would not stop. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, but that never, ever happened. 
happens when you dance with more advanced dancers, um, more skilled dancers, because the phrase stops, they stop. Um, and it's not, it's not conscious. So they don't have to lead you to stop or indicate they're gonna stop. It's just the phrase comes to an end. So therefore you're gonna stop at that moment. Um, but beginners will sometimes just run into you. <laughs> yeah, you, 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 had a, you had a riff in your, in your book that, that w- when I read it, it was one of those things that in retrospect seems so obvious, but when I read it, it kind of blew my mind, which is that the, the point at which the, the, the music begins is, is obviously very important for musicians, but it's not super important for dancers. So if you watch the tango, they just, you know, they sort of ease into it. But the point at which yes. they end is really important. And that's where the yes. beginners always mess up. Um, I, thought, I thought that was hilarious. And yeah. It's, yeah, it's you, okay. can't, you, you actually can't. I mean, unless you were dancing to live music and you, you had a, a conductor there or something. And tango orchestras don't have a conductor usually. But if there mm-hmm. were a conductor there, then I guess you could or you could be counted down or something. But otherwise, it's not possible to begin at the first um, note of the music. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once you hear it, it's already too late. Um, so in general, we actually make a virtue out of a necessity by beginning very slowly. So people will let the first bars go by um, and then they will gradually embrace and then they'll be kind of settling in and then they'll go. Um, and um, the same is even true of individual phrases. You don't have to catch the beginning of a phrase. Um, you just, but it's important that you end in the right, right. place. It's yeah, important to catch the endings. It's one of those things that, that can make a performance sort of dead on arrival, right? If you, yes. if, a, if a dancer misses the, the end, yeah. Yes, exactly. Um, I think it's, um, um, and the other thing that I was going to say, which is, relates to sort of how um, how different dance and, and music are genres. So um, in dance, we have, um, I mean, we really can't express pitch. Uh, we can't express um, timbre, not really. Um, we only have time to play. We only have timing to play with. And a little bit, there's some, we can play very, very subtly with quality of movement, but, but not really. I mean, it's very limited the extent to which you can do that. Um, you can dance, you can, uh, especially in what are called decorations or adornos, which are movements made independently by one dancer or the other to express musical detail. Uh, usually detail that's too, too uh, fleeting or irregular um, to, or fast uh, to lead and follow. So we have, there's a maximum speed to how, to what you can do leading and following. Uh, Mm -hmm. If something very twiddly and fast comes in the music, you can maybe express in the decoration, you can almost never do it together, unless you really got high high skill levels because um, there's a a communication lag. Right. It's different from solo dancing, Um, but so you can do some things like swirl your foot around in a very rounded way if the music is more legato, or you could kind of like flex your foot and, and um, have this kind of jagged, more jagged look. Um, but there aren't too many of those options in tango. We're mostly only playing with timing. So um, 
you have to become very hypersensitive to what you're doing with timing. And sometimes to uh, the music has so many more possibilities in that way. So we, when we're, there are some little rhythmic um, irregularities within the music, little rhythmic features, like there might be a section of three, three, two is very typical. Boom, boom, ba, boom, boom, ba, boom, ba. Da, 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 da. It's, it's a very frequent thing in tango. Um, usually only it's, it's only for a couple of bars. It's just a little snatch in the song. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, Piazzolla wrote a whole tango, which has that lever tango, but yeah. nobody dances to that. It would, it would be, to a dancer, it's very frustrating. It's just relentlessly more and more of the same. It's I see. Not, it doesn't ins- it doesn't inspire you to dance because you can't just keep repeating the same movement a gazillion times. Right, right. Music is and music you can, but in dance it feels weird and boring. Um, but it's a lovely piece of music. But you can so there's snatches of that and there's snatches of offbeats and syncopations and things like that. Um, but. Um, you can sometimes catch a few of those. Like if you caught three of them per song, you would be very happy. (laughs) Most of the time, your only options are walking on what we call the pulse, i.e. the strong beats, like the one and three of the bar, um, or walking at half speed, or walking at double speed. Um, And that's that's most of what you have speed-wise. Um, and then there's just um, how early you, when you hit the pulse. Um, so this is this is where we get into territory. Where I'm never sure if this is real or just imagined, because I think there's there are a lot of placebo effects when you're dancing tango. Very powerful right. placebo effects <laughs> going on. Um, but my sensation as a dancer is that a pulse or the beats, but when we say the beat, we mean all four, the four, four, all four beats, whereas the pulse is just the strong ones. So I'm going to continue calling it the pulse. It's probably mm-hmm. not what musicians would say, but we call no, it the fine. pulse. Um, but the pulse, uh, there's a sweet spot in the middle of that kind of pulse. There's like, if the beat is here, there's a like juicy bit in the middle. And there's a kind of almost, there's a kind of early and you're waiting there. And there's a, you only just made it late, kind of almost late thing. Um, But not actually early or actually late. That would be wrong. It needs to be kind of just have a feel of being, we got there early, we rushed, and now we're kind of luxuriating, waiting here. Or we waited and we just got there at the last minute. And the sensation to us dancers is the rush thing, getting there early is drama, is like pathos. And getting there late is relaxation. So getting there late is a kind of quasi-comic effect. And it, uh, so for Malonga, they say, relax and don't be in a rush to, to hit the, to, don't be in a rush to get there in time for the pulse. Yeah, or as, as my, um, my flute teacher often would say <laughs> in, in, uh, in lessons, if you sort of rush into a climax, uh, he, he would always he would always say too early is too early, and he would look at the the men in the class and say, you know, 
Um, well, the Milanka feeling is, you know, um, the the pulse is ringing the doorbell and you're just putting your dressing gown on. You're like, I'll be there. Hold your horses. I'm coming. Whereas in, in the more dramatic movement, you want to go zoom and then just kind of occupy it mm. proudly for milliseconds. Um, but this, so there are many, many, I mean, um, most of the rhythmic stuff that is happening in the tango, you cannot express, you cannot transfer it in any um, obvious way to steps. You can't have one note, one step. Um, but you would be tap dancing. Right. That would be impossible. And um, so people talk about in tango dancing to the rhythm or dancing to the orchestra, by which they mean stepping on the pulse or um, uh, stepping at half or double speed, but in some some um, multiple of the pulse or fraction of the pulse um, and dancing to the melody. And the dancing to the melody thing is a really strange concept because you cannot dance to a melody that is rhythmically all over the place. Um, and many of the tango melodies are and actually, if, for example, if you listen to the singers in particular, if you see tango music written down, it is all fully scored. It's not jazz, it's not improvised, generally not improvised. But if you see the singer's line written down and then you just sang it the way you saw it exactly written, it, would, it just sounds all wrong um, because it's, it's not sung like that. It's sung with this much um, sloppier, messier, dirtier as the Argentine say. It needs to be kind of muddy. Hmm. Um, it's supposed to be muddy, the way that you handle the rhythm as a singer. Um, and they call this rubato porteño, this style ah, of like playing that. with a timing. Um, so you obviously can't reproduce that. And then there are also these uh, counter melodies, which are very, very important. Um, and really nice to feel like you're dancing to, whether you actually are <laughs> or not. This question I'll come to in a minute, but to feel like you're dancing to, because it feels like you are, your ears are all sharpened and you're going uh, deeper in. It's really nice to, um, whenever I'm singing along to tango, I sing along to the counter melodies. I feel, I feel like, I feel much nice. I feel good doing yeah. that. It's like oh, anybody can sing a melody. <laughs> That's the definition of a melody. It's the part you sing. If somebody says, "How does that song go?" The bit that you sing, unless you're a completely insane person. I don't know. Maybe you play the sec. You sing the flute part or something. But a normal no, sane person sings the melody, right? Yeah, yeah. So it it feels like. Mm, well, we're really in the know. We, we actually sing and dance to the counter melody. Um, but of course, uh, you, you don't really have, you're still just most of the time stepping on the pulse um, and pausing and, and stepping on some multiple of the pulse. So really the, um, the only ways that you can signal that you're dancing to the counter melody are um, it usually, they, the counter melodies usually start and end at a different time for the melodies. So they don't, so they, um, they have that contrapuntal feel, they don't overlap in time. Mm -hmm. um, so you want to pause beforehand and then start when the counter melody starts. 
Um, and as we already to, to discussed, like starting yeah. on time is really difficult in, in dance. Um, and you especially want to stop when the counter melody stops. Right. Um, and then you can do things like, um, if there's a very rhythmic thing which you have been tapping out little decorations to, and a counter melody starts in violin, then I stop doing taps and other decorations because I want to signal as much as possible that I'm dancing to the counter melody, which is usually very legato and often high pitched. So it's kind of violin descant. It's like a descant in choral scene. Right. So that's so, probably way more information than you needed. But no, no, not not at all. There, there, there are three or four things there that I want to sort of go off on, but. Um, just really quickly, so is, is there anything that you listen for differently as a, as a leader versus a follower? Like, is it as simple or not? Is it as linear and binary as like, if you're a follower, you dance more to the counter melody than you are if you're the leader? Um, no, um, I mean, you, you, you would dance, if you're going to dance to the counter melody, you need to dance to it together. Okay. Um, but, so the leader is um, generally, so there are different ways of dancing. There, there are um, what I call more androgynous and more sexually di dimorphic ways of dancing. <laughs> and what I mean by that is there are some styles in which both leader and follower um, are doing a similar number of decorations. Um, so the decorations, again, are those independent movements that each dancer makes of their own volition um, that your partner can preferably feel. Otherwise, uh, you know, you, half the point of them is gone. That your yeah. partner can preferably feel, but that, but that don't actually affect their movement. Um, don't throw them off. They can respond to if they want to. Um, it's very similar to the way that we ornament when, when we're playing Baroque music or something, you know. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. It is very much like that. It's it's um, rococo yeah. kind of touches in the dance, and um, there are styles in which which are quite austere, where neither leader nor follower are doing many of those kinds of decorations, um, and there are styles which are very very highly ornamented, in which both leader and follower are doing a lot of decorations, um, and then in the middle there is, and I think it's probably the most popular style is what I call the sexually dimorphic style where the leader's dance is very plain and the follower's dance is very ornamented. Um, so the video I showed you of Carlitos Noelia, that's a classic uh, sexually dimorphic thing. So he's really not doing anything much except um, uh, timing wise, except for um, stepping on the pulse, occasionally um, going at double speed and pausing. Um, and she is doing um, a lot of other, a lot of little decorations, mostly, um, most strikingly, let's say, or mostly between phrases where um, they have uh, what in tango we call a fill. Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same thing in jazz. You, you, yeah. you know what I mean? Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. That, I think that, in jazz, it's called a cut on one or something. Like uh, all the it other. Probably, probably depends on where in the world you are. But, um, I, you know, from, from my perspective, fill. Is the, is the right oh, word. Oh, okay. So, yeah. Okay, yeah. So when they have the, the fills. Um, and um, so, um, um, so I think that mostly 
what's happening is the leader is um, providing a kind of framework. So as a leader, for example, um, there are two kinds of leaders, I guess. There's tacticians and uh, strategians, strategists, that's what strategians, strategists. <laughs> um, and um, so there is a form of the dance, a kind of classic form of the dance, which involves, it's often called Visha Urkisa style, which is an area of Buenos Aires. Mm. Um, and it involves doing quite long, uh, elaborate figures, um, which are in a sense improvised because you, the follower, don't know which figure is happening and if it's going to happen. Um, but um, which the leader is planning several bars ahead. So if you lead in that kind of way, you need to know, for example, the singer is coming in in three bars. So we talked about, so I'm gonna start this elaborate turning figure three bars earlier. So I can stop in time or at least three bars earlier because you can always stop early uh, for, mm. and, and wait for the singer. Um, what you don't want to do is be caught out by him arriving whilst you're still doing right. your thing. Um, it's the endings again. The endings are important, yeah. <laughs> not the beginnings. So um, uh, as a leader, you will think at least three bars earlier, you're going to start your elaborate figure so that you're ready to stop and walk when a singer appears. Um, so, um, so leading can involve this kind of slightly longer term strategy, uh, slightly chess-like kind of strategy. Um, and um, it can also be, um, I think it's, I mean, it's much more intuitive than this kind of implies, although I gathered playing chess can also be intuitive, um, people have told me, but you don't. I think uh, intuition um, is, is, you know, it's built up. I've, I've never, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's only after you, train, you learn something. You yeah. train first. Yeah. yeah, it's not, it's not, you're not spontaneously born. Um, dancing these complex figures yeah. <laughs> um, but you get a feel for where where to place them um, and so as a as a leader you are managing the kind of structure and you're managing um, choice of choreography uh, it is improvised but I use that term to mean I guess step vocabulary um, which like is also depends Yes, what kind yeah. of steps you're doing at this moment? Um, are we going to walk here? Are we going to do a hero? Are we going to do this or that? Um, and um, as a follower, you do, you have mo almost like 95% of the time, you have no say in what steps are being done. Um, mm. And as a follower, your focus is on quality of movement and the expressiveness with which you do the steps. Um, that's one thing. So that also means that as a follower, one reason why followers decorate more uh, is also that it's, um, um, it's not just that it may feel more intrinsically feminine, although whatever, the, the very, very decorated form of dance also has lots of men dance that way. Um, but it's also, um, you have more opportunities to do that as a follower because you don't have to you don't have to choose step vocabulary and you don't have to strategize and you don't have to steer you don't have to avoid collisions and things like that um, sense so what you dance also depends on what other people around you are dancing you can't walk if there's a like a 
a lot of people around you are turning, for example. So you have to modify um, what you do. Um, so uh, you have more chance to catch little details as the follower. And so you leap on those details and you do your decorations. And the other thing is that, which is a technical thing about leading and following. So leading, um, it's, it's not like leading somebody in kind of normal uh, life, um, which implies that you go first in like time and space. If you, if you are leading a procession of people, you would stand at the front and you would walk in front and they would go after. Um, so leading involves initiating movements and you initiate them by just turning up the volume a little tiny bit, being a little bit kind of somatically extroverted, I call it, about the beginning, the preparatory motions that you make to do the movement yourself, your own movement. So you're not trying to do something to the other person, you're just like preparing. So it's, it's quite analogous to um, if you were playing the flute and you went, you know, like this, um, you don't grab other people's flutes and do anything to them. You just show that you're going to start and then everybody starts together. So leading is a bit like that. Um, but so you initiate the movement and then you go together. But then what very often happens the way the dance works technically is that the movement finishes when the follower arrives at the point that she needs to arrive at at that moment. Um, so a very classic obvious one is there's this move called um, the cross, which is a very standard, very, very frequently danced move in tango. Um, and it's a very intuitive, lovely um, move. Um, and uh, basically the leader has, the leader does a movement and the follower is doing her movement at the same time. And then she has an extra movement which finishes the cross. So he mm. initiates and then he's waiting for the, her to finish. Um, there is a way of hurrying her. If you're early enough in the movement in indicating, then you indicate we're not hanging around. Um, you, can, you can stop her from taking her, her own sweet time by crossing. Um, but you need to do that early. Once it started, you can't just, uh, well, you could, but it would be very gauche and, and look right. terrible and feel terrible. Um, but uh, you can't, um, you can't do it mid movement. Um, and the follower actually has a lot of control over, therefore over the timing of the ends of movements. So if I feel, if I want to mark something that is very kind of stretchy in the music, I was going to say slow, but actually I want to come to tempos in a minute because that is another deceptive thing yeah. um, that feels kind of more legato and stretchy in the music. Then I, I will take, I will slow down going into cross and there's nothing the leader can do. He will just have to wait for me. Um, and if I feel the music is snappy, I will actually speed up going to cross also. Um, so there's quite a lot of moments like that, where as a follower, you can control the speed of the ends of movements. And you can also offer some resistance. Um, so 
you can, there's a way of standing which is very light, like I'm ready to go. And there's a way of standing that is more heavy. It's not resistance towards your partner. It's just like planted. Um, and so you can kind of do that to signal, let's not go now, let's pause here. Um, and I think that you can make use of, of a lot of those things. And a lot of them are quite intuitive. So you don't, uh, you may not real, realize how much you're doing it and the leader may not realize you're doing it either. If it fits the music, it feels intuitive. It's just like, we're both slowed down because the music is slow here. Um, mm. If it doesn't fit the music, then it feels kind of, can feel arbitrary and willful and even very, not, and even kind of annoying. <laughs> and then it's like, he's deaf, you know, she's deaf. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, um, that I think is one way. And, and sometimes there are things that you can, uh, there are emergency measures you can take. So I was once in performance and there was uh, the piece we were dancing to had these violin. There's this whole argument about whether they're syncopations or offbeats. I'm not going to get into this argument, but um, there were these, I'll call them offbeats. It went boom, ba, ba. You know, to me, that's an offbeat on violin. Um, yeah. And the beat was sounding very strongly, like everybody else was playing the beat. And then there was a solo violin playing on the offbeat. Um, and I was determined, I was, did not want us to step on the beat at that, on the pulse at that moment. Um, and I could feel that he was going to do it. And I just basically like grabbed him like this and was rooted and I stuck out a leg. So I did a decoration of quite more flamboyant decoration to mark the violin thing. <laughs> there were three repeated and I just went boom, boom, <laughs> boom. So I just took charge because it's like, we cannot, we cannot get this wrong. Um, that's funny. So that, that's a lot more complicated of a, of a relationship between leader and follower than I was imagining. That's, um, it almost seems like you, you are two leaders. You're just in charge of leading sort of different aspects of the dance. But um, um, yeah, it doesn't feel like that. But it is, um, I think that um, one of the things that surprises people who are not accustomed to dancing is um, how little of, of lead and follow dancing is led. I mean, a lot of it is led, but many things are not are really not led. Hmm. They're like, how did he make her do X and Y? Like, it's not led. You know, she decided to do that. So right. Um, yeah, no, that's interesting. Um, so when when you're when when you're when you're in the middle of it, um, like does does the, does the density of the orchestra affect the like your like the how you're dancing as a follower or a leader like? Is, is there like a, is there, mm. um, yeah, because it's, it's not always the same, it's not always the same orchestra, is it, or is? No, it's all different orchestras. Um, please remind me that redensity, I want to say something about okay. 10p, but um, yeah. uh, I'll say that in a minute if I remember. <laughs> um, but we have, um, I, so there's different, I think of there as being different densities of orchestra in tango. Um, so some orchestras are very light and airy. Um, my long, uh, for a long time, my favorite orchestra was um, D'Agostino. So the or orchestras are really a style of playing. Um, right. Their repertoire also differs, but there is some overlap. There are some standards like in jazz, so jazz standards. Um, 
but it's really a, a, a style of playing. Um, and in D'Agostino's orchestra feels like um, a people, they share the melody. So in this part, the piano has the melody and everybody else is quite discreet. And there's maybe one little um, counter melody on violin almost always. And there are a few fills, you know, between the phrases, but really it's very light. And now the melody is passed to Bandonian and they have their turn. And now, uh, you know, the singer has his turn. And... like that moment in a jazz concert when they say and on drums we have you know and tickling those ivories we have <laughs> x and each person has a little solo although it's not solo the other people are still accompanying right. but it's very much this is your moment this is your moment and it just feels kind of light and airy like there's space between the lines of music um whereas some of the other orchestras feel very compacted um, and the one I, that feels most dense to me is uh, Troilo. It feels like it's like a millefeuille. So everybody is playing at once. Um, and there are often uh, multiple counter melodies. Well, no more than uh, two, but there's often two counter melodies happening. Or mm. often the counter melody, what's going on in the counter melody is a kind of call and response duet between two violins, for example. Right. Um, and I was saying that a, a, a frequent strategy is when the singer comes in, everybody takes a step back and just plays this rhythmic accompaniment. In Troilo, when the singer starts, counter melody starts on violin, and everybody else is doing this dense, chewy, harmonic kind of accompaniment rather than a chickety chickety rhythmic thing. To use the, use the technical term, chickety chickety. Yeah. <laughs> what do you know? <laughs> And then some orchestras are, um, so density doesn't equal drama though. So Colo's orchestra is very dense, but in a very smooth way. It's like everything blended together. Hmm. Um, when, I'm, when I was teaching um, listening for counter melodies, which was one of the classes that I taught, and I always did Colo's orchestra last as the most advanced. It's the most difficult to hear them because it's quite hard to um, hear different lines happening in the Colo. Right. So, for example, you, can, you can't hear the difference between the left hand of the piano and the, well, I can't, you probably could, and the double bass when it's close orchestra, they're just like one smooshy blending together, creating a kind of um, a, a, a bass which is un unobtrusive. Mm -hmm. It's just like filling out the sound. Um, whereas in other orchestras, you can hear plinkety plonk plonk on the double bass happening. Um, Di Sarli and Colo's orchestras are both like that, very, very smooth. Um, and Di Sarli doesn't make 
all that much use of the bandonian because uh, the bandonian is not an instrument that blends with other it doesn't it's not a good team player <laughs> it's right. loud it's very loud and one reason why violins often play these high counter melodies and they tend to play them when the singer is singing or when piano and singer and the bandonian is either silent or just doing little rhythmic things it's because bando is louder than violin i mean that that's all there is to it um yeah and you don't have volume control on the bando it just has one um it um you you can't um uh you can't do like um um crescendos and diminuendos it just has one sound that's loud um right. so um it's um some orchestras are also uh sparse for drama so Pugliese's orchestra has a lot of solos on instruments for drama and and long general pauses and things especially he likes to have general pause in the first beat of the bar uh, where you would not expect a general pause to really make it like feel And Biaggi's orchestra, which has very, very extensive use of syncopation and offbeats. And that has a lot of pauses because if you want to use offbeats, you want you want them to you want syncopations to fall dramatically into a silence. It's right, more right. like punchy. So I think of orchestras as having those two qualities, that the 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 dense and the kind of sparse orchestra. So so between this, uh, between like the dance and the sparse orchestras, do you actually do anything differently with with your dance or? Um, I feel that I do. I feel that I do, <laughs> um, but I'm I'm not certain. So, I'm I'm. We dancers feel that we do, and we we say things like, "I don't like to dance to him to Kolo and Di Sarli, but I really enjoy dancing." Um, Darienzo and Biaggi with him um, or um, you know this couple are just they were just born to dance Fresedo which is the most Fresedo is this bubbly like kind of Disneyland sort of <laughs> orchestra um, very very almost sort of fey we uh, a friend of mine had this t-shirt made which said real men love Fresedo which <laughs> might give you an idea of the kind of sound it is yeah um, and um, it's, so I feel that I dance differently to those different orchestras, but it's really tough because we do not have that many resources at our command. Um, and so I'm never sure how much is, how much of what you feel you're doing is really transmitting um, either visually or even to your partner. It's really hard to say. Um, but I feel that I do. Yeah, I try to, um, not just in kind of choice of decorations and things like that, but also in just quality of movement. I feel different when I'm dancing to the different orchestras. And um, in dance, what you feel you're attempting to express. I and mean, that's, um, that's the point of art. What is in here goes out. Bleh. Yeah. yeah. Um, 
That's that's very interesting because in in music, obviously, you know, there are there are different styles of sort of approaching performance um, between people who really play to an audience and really, and people who sort of are more introverted and play for themselves, and the audience is sort of listening in. But the the fact of the audience is 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 a fact, right? There all there's always someone there who is yeah. listening, um, and that's just how it is. But with, with tango, um, I can't get a sense of. Uh, how much it is inward facing or how much it is um, like outward facing. So when you're, mm -hmm. when you're like, how much does that matter when you say, um, you know, like it feels differently to me. Um, like how much of the, of the dance is for yourself, your partner, for the musicians and how much of it is for people, for like the aesthetics of the dance? How, how, like, is it for mm -hmm. the people watching mm -hmm. it all? Ah, uh, you, so. That's Did I just really... open a horrible can of worms? <laughs> <laughs> that's a really good question. So there are some terribly kind of snobbishly sort of puritanical people who are like aesthetics is bullshit. You know, <laughs> it should be all for the feeling and emotion. And if you're doing anything because it looks nice, um, that's that's just superficial nonsense. But you know, looking nice feels nice. First of all, there's no real, there isn't a hard and fast distinction between looking and feeling. You know how you feel and how, how you know how you look. And also, I have very frequently found if there's some problem with your dancing, if something doesn't feel good, it, you watch it on video and then you try and make it look better and then it will feel better. Mm. So, um, I mean, the dance is designed to be beautiful. Generally in dancing, what looks nice feels nice. That's different from what looks flamboyant. So those are two different categories. So, um, um, and, and there, there are some mismatches. So some people do feel really beautiful to dance with and they don't look all that, all that great. Nobody feels wonderful to dance with who looks like a complete disaster. <laughs> but for example, some taller men dance with kind of a hunch like this, especially some older men. Um, and that looks terrible and it's also not good for their own backs and it is not great in performance unless it's an old guy if you're watching an old couple perform it's oh god sorry i'm going into too many tangents on, it's on all right that. <laughs> um but it's um but nevertheless if you're because we're usually smaller than men i'm only five foot one or almost five foot one <laughs> so, um it it can it can actually be very snuggly when the guy is like this. Um, I, Interesting. If, if he's if he's too much hunched over, he's going to get into your space, and you're not going to be able to position your own body comfortably. That's that's a real issue. Um, but uh, some people manage to be. They just feel so comfortable in the embrace, like getting into an old arm familiar old armchair putting on a really old pair of jeans that are kind of teddy bear soft <laughs> from washing and um and then you see him dancing you're like what on earth quasi <laughs> <laughs> um and it's so there are those mismatches but in general i feel that um the outward beauty and inward feeling are very very tightly um, connected in, in dancing. Um, and there is always one audience, which is your partner. Um, they usually can't see you, actually. Most of the time, you don't really see each other's dance. You just feel because of the positioning. Oh, that's um, so interesting. That's something I would never would have considered. <laughs> so sometimes, 
you open up to to do things that, um, and and you see uh, you almost never look into the other person's eyes. In fact, if you do that, we'll freak them out. <laughs> um, but um, you look uh, you look about here around kind of upper um, sort of clavicle solar plexus area, um, and um, um, as my teacher used to say, you count the chest hairs that are coming out of his like <laughs> his t-shirt, <laughs> his v-neck, um, and uh, um, so you don't actually you're not actually looking down at the feet and legs most of the time, and that's where most of the kind of expression most of the expression is in the lower body. Um, so in fact, you you don't really see the other person's dance when you're dancing with them; you just feel it. So, which is why when I do decorations, for example, I much prefer decorations that can be felt, even though that's more risky because if the other person can feel it, it could also throw them off. Right. Uh, so it means you're doing a, making a bigger movement and that is more, you're rocking the boat, but you mm. want the boat to rock. You want them to feel like slight rock because that's how they will appreciate it, that it's happening. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you're always, we usually dance in a social situation where you can see the other people dancing. When you're not dancing, you're watching. And I think that it is um, it is nice to give people who are watching something beautiful to watch. Um, but as I said, beautiful doesn't mean flamboyant necessarily. Um, and actually in tango, people love to see people just holding and just walking. Uh, there was this famous performance where this couple um, came on and they got into embrace slowly and then they just walked on the pulse for the entire song. And wow. people went wild. They loved it. <laughs> like, they were just mesmerized. So it's, it's like kind of playing some very simple, uh, you know, um, this is not Baroque. This is more like playing some extremely simple Mozart thing that everybody has heard a gazillion times. And it's very exposed. Um, everybody knows what it looks like to walk. So you had better be fucking perfect. Or, yeah. you know, um, or even just like playing a simple scale or something. Like uh, oftentimes if I'm hearing a new student or hearing someone play the, you know, I can, I can pretty much tell everything I need to about their playing by hearing them play scale you know mm, um mm. just and i think it's the same way with with watching uh tango people walk you know it, it just from the videos that you sent me it kind of makes me you know look at myself and and kind of feel like you know it, it's amazing how bad you are at doing something that you do literally every day like walking <laughs> <laughs> well i i can i can tell actually from um from the minute they start embracing um mm. I mean, I have like a 99% accuracy of talent. Right. You don't have to wait for them to do anything fancy to know whether they can dance well or not. And that if you're dancing with the person, you don't have to wait for them to even move. You can tell immediately in the way they hold themselves, they hold you. Um, you yeah. can kind of gauge level of competence very quickly. Um, we do have in tango some people who are just not that technically good, might even be a bit uncomfortable to dance with um, and don't look great, um, but who just have amazing um, musicality. Um, and I was actually, so there's a performance I 
did with an ex-boyfriend of mine, which I really always hated that performance because I feel like it looks like such a mess. Our footwork looks like a, like, like a mess. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, my toes aren't even properly pointed in points where they should be pointed. It's like flopping like dead fish. <laughs> and um, I saw that several people put this on a kind of list of inspirational tango videos, this playlist you can make on YouTube. Hmm. And it's because he has so much musical musicality or that's what they are responding to. Um, It doesn't look, it doesn't look particularly good. I I don't even like to watch it. Um, Especially me, but he also doesn't look very good, but um, it clearly resonated with people and how it felt amazing when I was doing, when I was giving the performance, I remember the feeling and the feeling was just this kind of effortless swimming in the swimming in the music. Um, so that does that does happen in tango and people will uh, forgive um, they they are more likely to forgive you not being so skilled in the movement department if your musicality is good um, than than vice versa if right, it's technically right. very nice but they don't feel it's musical then they're just like Bleh. yeah um, it, mu- it must be because because you know, there's always going to be someone who's more technically competent than than you are, but yeah. your musicality is ultimately your musicality. So the singularity yes. of your being is is able to be expressed more with with your musicality. Yes, You're, you you need to transmit, as the Argentines put it. So if somebody is a very good dancer. You hear people say transmite, which is just literally mm. transmit. He she transmits. Um, I like that. So yeah, it's lovely. May I say something about the tempi? Yes, I was just going to bring it back to that. <laughs> so, um, uh, so people talk about slow and fast uh, tangos. So they say, oh, these, these slow pieces by Kolo and these fast, fast, fast numbers by Dario and so. Um, and um, a, a bandonian player, actually, who, um, a famous bandonian player called Joaquin Amanabar blew my mind by playing snatches of a whole bunch of tangos from different orchestras. And he was just clapping like this, about this speed. And he would change it to another, um, and maybe he had to pause for a second to get back onto the kind of pulse if it wasn't aligned, but he just went on like this through 20 different orchestras. There's really no change in tempo in tango. It's all one tempo. <laughs> um, it's all this quite, quite a fairly leisurely tempo because not it's not a super fast dance, um, and um, the the well certainly of the classic tangos the dance came first and then the the music was adapted, um, or the music was written for people to dance to. Right. So um, I think. And that may be why the tempo is so constant, but it feels, some pieces feel so much slower than others. Um, But it's only a question of how much is happening within the bar lines. So I think of it as like um, if you're on a train and um, the bar lines are like the kind of slats in in the railway line on the train. So there's always the same distance between the two slats, but out of the window could be a desert 
or it could be a forest of 100 trees. Um, and that's what makes it feel speedy. Um, Darienzo has a lot of um, demi quavers and hemi, demi, semi, whatever quavers. Um, he has a lot of kind of short time notes squashed into the bar. Um, even though we as dancers cannot actually dance to, we cannot dance that. Right. We're just stepping on the pulse as usual, or at most at double speed. At most, that's the fastest we can usually dance, uh, which is not very fast. Um, and so even though we're not even dancing to those and the pulse is exactly the same and we're just stepping on, we're often just stepping on the pulse in those fast things, people don't tend to do a lot of double speed. They walk, they walk on the pulse exactly at the same speed at which they would be dancing to some very smooth desarly or something, which they would describe as slow. Right. Their actual pace of walking is exactly the same, but they feel, oh, stereotypes are really tiring. It's fast. <laughs> it's funny. It's so funny. <laughs> it's, it's incredible that you use that, that train analogy because literally my, my, my teacher uses the same analogy, the exact same analogy when you're playing slow music and fast music because you get this problem where people are too jittery and high energy and, and when they're playing quickly and they're too low energy when they're playing slowly. So he, he says the exact same thing. Like you're in a train and the landscape outside may be moving, you know, it may be, mm. you know, like a desert or a tree, like you said, but, um, but the, you, sh you should actually be feeling that you are in the same sort of pulse in your, within your body, no matter what you're playing, you know? The jitters, um, I, I mean, the jitters, we also, um, we also definitely get. <laughs> Do you hear my cat? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, and my old partner didn't like dancing to Darienzo because he felt he felt it was too frantic. Mm. Um, so he felt stressed out by the speed, even though the speed is an illusion. Um, right. It's an illusion. So, um, um, but I think what we m get more jittery about is catching specific details. Um, that are only there once or twice in, within the song. Um, and um, that, that managing to sort of catch those things precisely, but be relaxed is a real skill. Yeah. Um, things like those. I mean, the reason my partner, when the performance um, didn't, um, kept not stepping on those offbeats in the violin was not because he couldn't hear them and he didn't want to dance to them. He did. He just got freaked out so each time he fucked up um, and that's why I had to like grab him and stop him <laughs> and do it with a decoration um, which is much easier than leading and following it it's always yeah. easier to catch detail um, on your own than when two of you have to have to do it together interesting um I'm, I'm mindful of the time here do you, I have some questions about Piazzolla because you know he's so he's such a big um He's such a big person in, in at least the flute world, but in, in really all of classical music, um, you know, there, there's always this question about dancing to Piazzolla. Um, and, and, but maybe first we can, we can talk a little bit. I, I don't really understand um, totally the difference between the sort of like golden age tango composers. Like, mm. um, is this where, where Desarli and yes. Darienzo, yes. these are, yeah. Um, I, what changed between that and, and Tango Nuevo? Uh, you know, with... Oh, well, um, so I have to confess that I absolutely hate Tango Nuevo, the music, the music. Okay. 
So there was a, um, we should not confuse, there was a dance craze, Tango Nuevo dance craze. So that was a style of dance. Some people are still um, keeping the embers burning of that style of dance, but it was really a, a fashion that peaked in the sort of mid nineties um, and then disappeared. At one point there was this dance venue where everybody was dancing Nuevo and it was Nuevo's style of dancing, not to the music. Um, and it was this giant, it looked like a giant aquarium and it would be packed, just <laughs> rammed full. And three years later, there were so few people going that they had to close <laughs> it down. So this kind of, um, but funnily enough, the Nuevo style, which had a lot of more open embrace, a lot of stretchy and a lot of off axis movements. Maybe I won't go into too much technicality about it. No, that's fine. But the style was usually danced to very early music. So music from before the golden age. Oh, interesting. What we call, what we call Guardia Vieja um, music. So music from mostly the thirties, um, which is, um, um, there's a lot of stuff in the thirties that is really not danceable at all. It's more like um, it's cabaret songs, which just have really, really witty lyrics. And the point is to go and listen to them being performed. Hmm. Um, you wouldn't dance them. It's almost kind of a waste. I mean, the idea of them is the wit and of the lyrics. And it's mostly a showcase for a singer. <laughs> But then the other 30 songs, they just, they're far less contrapuntal. They don't have that dense, that kind of, there's none of the orchestras are dense. They're all kind of airy and they are um, playing in unison a lot or in very simple harmonies, like the same tune in slightly different pitches um, with a little bit of rhythmic accompaniment. Um, so it's much simpler, but some of those songs are very, some of the melodies are very, very beautiful. Some they're very, very, very lovely in their simplicity. Um, and when people were dancing the Nuevo style, most people in Argentina who were dancing that Nuevo style were dancing it to that music. Um, because that music is actually kind of has this more relaxed feeling and Nuevo was, is a slow motion form of tango. It has a lot of big, slow movements. Um, but so even the Nuevo dancing people are not usually doing to Nuevo music. Um, I had no and idea. Not, not many people were dancing to the Nuevo music in Argentina. Um, outside Argentina and Germany in particular, it was a huge craze. And they had to have two different sets of tango events, those which would have Nuevo and those which didn't. <laughs> because a lot of people hated Nuevo so much, including me, that even if the Nuevo is going to be played like one quarter of the time, they didn't want to go to that event because they didn't want to be around that music. <laughs> like smoking, um, not smoking, huh? <laughs> exactly. Um, and it's just, so the thing about complexity in music with improvised forms of dance, I guess there is a, there is an optimum level of complexity. So um, classical music is too complex. Um, and some of the piazzolla stuff is too complex. Um, it's, uh, you could probably dance it solo, but for leaden followed 
music, it's really, unless you know the piece extremely well, it's, it's very hard for us to dance to that kind of music. Mm. Um, there's no way you could get up and, well, I guess you could, but um, you wouldn't get up and dance a tango to Janicek or something. Right, that would yeah. be really, really difficult. Yeah. <laughs> um, and the music needs to have a certain level of repetitiveness. And well, music is always classic, not necessarily classical, but classic music always right. says things twice, right? Yeah. Um, so if you miss it the first time, you have a second chance to go at it. <laughs> That's our perspective as dancers. That's as interesting. You need to get it the first time. As well. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately. But we could just wait out the first one and be like, oh, that's interesting. I'll catch it when it comes around again. <laughs> right. um, and, um, but it also, if the music is too simple, then you just feel this kind of complete draining of all inspiration. Hmm. Um, so people don't usually dance to Liber Tango, although that is quite a captivating piece to listen to because once you've worked out what you're going to do to that three, three, two thing, are you going to do that 800 times? I mean, it just doesn't, to us, it doesn't yeah. make sense. Yeah. Um, and um, so um, it starts to feel like um, there's not enough, the music doesn't provide enough motivation to change what we're doing. So, so it's very easy if, if a pop song is playing, so for example, a friend of mine tried to dance to um, Leonard Cohen, um, <laughs> dancing to the end of love. He tried to do a tango performance to this and it was a real disaster. And I did tell really? him, I said, this is not gonna work. Um, <laughs> he didn't believe me. So if you're listening, <laughs> I told you so. Um, because the thing is, if you're boogieing and you're just doing this and you're doing this, right? then it doesn't matter if the music doesn't change because you can go on doing that movement. But in dance, um, why should I change from say walking to circular movements? Well, I change because this, um, this phrase had melody in violin and this phrase has melody in bandoneon. So I'm gonna change from walking to circular movements, even though there's no intrinsic connection between walking and violin, circular and bandonian. Again, right. music and dance are completely different languages. So it's not analogous. There's not a nice analogy there. But right. the analogy is in the analogy is in whether you're doing the same thing or changing. When the music changes, you change your dance. So a change in the music gives you the impetus to do a new movement or form of movement. If the music is unchanging, it you'll still change your movements because you'll get bored, but it feels so arbitrary. It's like, why the fuck am I doing this? It does it has True. no meaning. Yeah. Um, so that's that's what happens with the nuevo stuff. It doesn't it's kind of unchanging, and that makes it it's too simple. Um, so you need this mid-range uh, level of complication in, in music for for this style of dancing. Interesting, interesting. Uh, are you familiar at all with, with the Piazzolla piece, Eastward of Tango? It, um, I, no, I don't think so. It's, um, for, it's for flute and guitar, and it sort of, it, it paints this uh, picture of tango as going from, uh, it, the four movements are like, are Bordel 1900, Cafe 1930, Nightclub 1960, and the concert of today. 
Mm. And um, it's it sort of paints this picture of the tango starting in the in the bordel because the flute and the guitar were the cheapest uh, musicians to to hire, and then it, you know gets a bit more classy in the cafe, and then a bit more rowdy in the nightclub, and then it finally moves to the concert hall, maybe with the nuevo stuff. Um, is that totally? Off base is that just like this sort of fictional um, evolution of tango that Piazzolla made uh, up just for fun? Oh, so there are lots of arguments over whether tango was actually danced in the brothels or not. It was mm. definitely played, um, but I think it wasn't. I think it was not usually danced, just because I have seen pictures of the interiors, and I, 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 I think from a dancer's point of view, I can't see how how it would have worked. <laughs> right. Um, there's enough space, and it's not. Um, as carpeted or whatever. Um, hmm. So um, I, and there's, there's also a lot of sheet music was sold in the thirties and sheet music was mostly bought by middle-class people who had pianos at home. So that, that gives a little bit of the lie to the kind of um, brothel thing. Hmm. So I don't know how much truth there is to that. Um, but there's certainly, um, it's certainly true that Tango began in this more down-homey thing, and then it became posher in mm. kind of the 50s, in the golden ages when it became kind of posh. One of the sad things that happened when it became posh is that the earlier tangos in the 30s, and some of those in the 40s, are the lyrics are written in uh, Lundfardo, which is this um, dialect. Hmm. It's a very colorful, uh, it's a very colorful and beautiful dialect. And some of the lyricists, also coined words, or we think they coined them because we haven't found them anywhere else. Um, so like relojear, which is, reloj is a wristwatch, which is relojear is to check somebody out. Um, ah. And also um, balconear, which is just, you have to stand by and watch, which is literally, um, um, what's the word, balconying. Um, so there's some fantastic, there's some beautiful kind of, um, creative uses of language. And the early ones are written in definitely in Argentine Spanish. Um, and in the 50s, they started writing in this, the, the lyrics become much less interesting. Um, and not all of them, there are still some wonderful lyrics in the 50s, but um, there's there are a lot of less interesting lyrics. And um, in particular, the, the languages more this more kind of flowery high fluting language and it's also sometimes written with two uh which you know you would never ever say in argentine spanish you would never use two but it's in the lyrics oh interesting so it's kind of like a literary spanish um mm -hmm. and that's a reflection of its poshness having become posh and more respectable um so yes nuevo so i don't know um, the Nuevo music thing, I don't think too many people are still playing Nuevo music. Um, I think really the fashion came and went. Um, and, um, but there aren't most live bands who play tango or tribute bands. So it's really very few people have written tangos that feel to us like danceable, authentic tangos. Mm -hmm. um, there have been a, a few. Um, but mostly um, they're tribute bands who are playing the style of a particular orchestra from the golden age. And, uh, um, and um, I actually am, 
I'm, and I'm actually not crazy about it. Everybody else in the world loves dancing to live music. And I was like, oh my God, when there's a live orchestra, then there are 10 times as many people at the event and everybody wants to dance to the orchestra. Um, and um, I do dance to the orchestra and there are a few who I, there are a few orchestras that I really like, but mostly I actually kind of hate dancing to the orchestras because I feel that they are, I don't like this tribute band thing. Um, and um, I also, also often in Argentina, the sound systems are god awful. So there's all this screechy feedback and, um, <laughs> or you have to wear earplugs to dance because they're so loud. Oh no. Uh, or all this other ridiculous <laughs> stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I can um, And also there's this kind of um, way in which I think that the singers try to, a lot of the singers try to kind of reenact the lifestyle um, uh, of the singers of the golden age by singing in these croaky voices, trying to sound like they've had 50 cigarettes. I was going to say, yeah. And, yeah. <laughs> and it just sounds bad to me. And the Golden Age singers themselves, although they did have 50 cigarettes before they went on stage, they don't sound like that. It's because um, they didn't have to act like they were trying to do you Exactly. Know. <laughs> <laughs> so I have some issues with some, many of the bands, not all, not all. There are some really good bands. Um, uh, but yeah. <laughs> That's really interesting. Um, it's it's so interesting to 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 hear about about tango from like a dancer's perspective rather than from a musician's perspective because um, for us it seems like it it seems like you can you can at least for me you can um, you can play piazzolla like your whole life and and just imagine that that's that's what tango is mm, you know mm. um, but but it's it's obviously it's obviously not it doesn't seem like it figures uh, hugely in, into the life of a, of a real tango dancer. Yeah, well, um, Piazzolla, um, so I have danced quite often to Piazzolla's early stuff. So he, mm -hmm. when he had, when he was in Troilo's orchestra and then when he had his own early orchestra in the 50s and they made an LP, um, which is still quite often played, but that just sounds like classic golden age, has a classic golden age feel. He didn't become experimental as a musician until later. Right. And I think I've only once uh, danced to his later experimental stuff it was quite fun um but yes i once had for 15 minutes uh somebody played a piazzola tanda set of set of um number do, do you remember numbers. what the pieces were no no um i think i have a feeling they played otonio porteño or one of those one of the four seasons i gotcha yeah So yeah, just to, to to wrap it up real quick, um, I just I had one sort of set, set piece question. Um, it seems it seems obvious to me what what um, a dancer can can learn from studying a little bit about music, um, but could you speak to what what a musician might actually learn from studying dance? Ha, huh. gosh, that's um, hmm. 
I don't, I, I don't know. Um, that's interesting. Um, gosh, I'm not sure. I know. I, I have never, <laughs> I've never thought about that at all. Um, I have thought often about kind of difficulties musicians have um, learning to dance. So I find many musicians had specific, had, had kind of specific difficulties learning to dance. Um, and not very different ones from the ones that the person off the street has learning to dance. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. I think it might, it would certainly help. It might help with teaching of music because um, you come across in dance beginners, some people who really, um, you, you begin to realize actually how, um, counterintuitively difficult some aspects of music are and how you can kind of get around that. Um, so I had a student, uh, a lot of students won't pause. Um, a lot of beginner students won't pause. And I discovered that in many cases this is because when they pause, they can't find the pulse again. That's true for music students as well. Um, and what beginners will do also is that they will, you can, you can tell a an absolute beginner right away because um, they will stop at, if they've learned to stop at the end of the phrase, they will stop at the end of the phrase and then they will change weight on the spot. Um, and for a long time, I was like, stop doing that. <laughs> it feels like, it looks terrible. It feels like fidgeting. If you're dancing, right. it feels like, stop fidgeting. Just you're <laughs> gonna stop, stop. Um, and then I realized it's, um, that it's actually, it's hard to mark the beat in your head. Um, so, um, uh, so basically, the, the crutch you can give them is, is decoration. So this is where dance decoration is going to be helpful. So you, you say, okay, make a little circle with your foot, a little, just um, lift the foot and tap the toes, but don't change weight. Because also, they don't change weight in a very clear way. And then they get confused about, the followers confused about which foot they are, and that's a disaster. Then you kick each other when you start, when you start to walk again. Um, yeah. The follower must know which foot you want her to be on, which is right. not necessarily the same one as you're on, that's, but that's another level of sophistication, but she must know what foot you think that she is on. Um, <laughs> and there can't be any uncertainty about that. Right. <laughs> that is basic. So, um, so you get them kind of doing little toe taps to mark the beat and then they can graduate from to making the toe tap smaller and then they uh, then they can graduate to being able to stand and just hearing the beat and then after a while you're not I never feel like I'm counting anything or listening to the pulse at all it's just like there's a natural moment to move and this is a natural moment um, right and it begins to feel very much like I think this is another good analogy for what happens in leading. Actually, it feels like it's like water flowing downhill. When you are leading, you create a you create like an environment for the follower. Hmm. Um, you you dig out the sand thing, and the follower is just going to flow down there. Um, I like that. So it doesn't feel um, uh, it doesn't feel volitional, but I'm not sure how useful that is to musicians. Um, Musicians get very annoyed with the way that we, sloppy way that we talk about things. Uh, so we use double speed and half, we use double time and half time the wrong way around, which is why I always say double speed and half speed when I'm talking to musicians, because otherwise it gets very confusing. Um, 
we talk about the pulse, we think there are only two beats in the bar because the other two beats don't matter there. We don't right. step on them. <laughs> and, um, um, and, and stuff like that. And there's a lot of things also happening in the music that are just kind of, you could mark them, but there's, it would be so esoteric that most people don't like a key change or something. Right. Um, you could, in theory, you could decide, okay, I'm going to start walking and do circular movements because the key has modulated. But no, nobody does that. Yeah. Um, because there's no way to communicate without words to somebody else that this is your motivation. And they're just going to have this what the fuck feeling. And that's what you <laughs> want to avoid. You want to avoid the what the fuck feeling. <laughs> Yeah, th those are that's words to live by no matter what you're doing uh, in, in the <laughs> arts. But um, yeah, I, I really like that that you you, you put it in, in your in your book. Uh, I didn't you, answer your question at all, though. I'm sorry. Oh, that's fine. <laughs> I, I think just you know answering questions is overrated. But um, you, you say in your book something like in the in the land of music, we dancers are enthusiastic visitors, and the you know we should let the musician mm. shows around. Yeah, I, I you know I, I obviously appreciate that um, for for obvious reasons. So, um, but. Yeah, well, here I have to I have to get going here, but um, you know it's been real. Th thanks so much for for you know talking to me and and coming on the show. Um, I I definitely get the the Dunning Kruger feeling where um, it seems like I've learned a little bit about tango, and now I know now I know how much I don't know. So um, you know, uh, we'll we'll have to we'll have to have you on to talk again at some point if you're if you're okay with that. I would love to. Yeah. All right. To be continued. Thank you. Thank you so much. If you enjoyed this conversation, you may be interested in reading Iona's two-volume book, Our Tango World. I found it fascinating. It contains a wealth of information about studying tango, dancing tango, and the community around tango. It's also very accessible to those who don't know anything about dancing, like myself. A lot of her wisdom applies not only to tango, but also to any skill or craft you want to hone, as well as life generally. We'll put a link to buy her books in the show notes. There will also be links for the wonderful publications in which she's involved, Aria Magazine, Persuasion, and Letter, as well as her podcast, Two for Tea. Iona is a marvelous dancer, and there will also be links to see her in action on YouTube. I highly recommend you go and watch those. I hope you liked this episode. If you wish to support the show, the best ways to do that right now are to leave a review in Apple Podcasts or help spread the good word by telling your friends about us. We really appreciate it. Here's some Poruna Cabeza to show you out.